Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So, we did start three weeks ago a series in the book of Matthew. And uh, yes, now we are into that. And, uh, And we looked three weeks ago at the birth of Messiah. And I brought out the fact as we went into this that we're going to be looking at Messiah. We say, as Gentiles, Christ. But we understand that the word Christos is the Greek word that translates the Hebrew word, Mashiach. And Mashiach and Christos are one and the same. They both mean anointed one. That Yeshua, Jesus, who would come, would be the anointed one. He would be the Messiah. But he was coming as the Messiah specifically, to the Jews. And so, Matthew was a Jewish man. He was writing a testimony about the Jewish Messiah to the Jewish people. Many times, and we're going to see this a little bit this morning, that's why I'm making sure we go over this again. Many times, some of the things that we read, we misunderstand or may not be necessarily translated into English exactly because it doesn't flow to Gentiles. Okay? But we got to understand it. So in order to understand the fullness of this, and not necessarily that we have to know everything about everything, but I think we get more of an understanding of what was going on when we understand the historical and cultural context in which what, what was being stated. Does it make sense? Okay. So we believe, remember we just came out of um, our study on dispensationalism, we believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. That God said what he meant and meant what he said. But for us to fully understand that, as 21st century believers, Gentile believers, it behooves us to, to think back when it was written, what it was about. So we studied about, then, right in the very beginning, the lineage of Christ, right? His pedigree of the Messiah. It was important because he had to be a descendant of David. David. He had to be the descendant of David for the Jews. They had to understand that, okay? In order for Jesus really to be Messiah. So Matthew begins his letter, why what? Saying, look, look at the pedigree. It's who he is. But he includes in it the fact that he's not the son of a man, which is kind of a fun thing. I didn't get to share this. This is a little side. I don't have time for this. Actually, Joseph was a descendant of Jehoiachin, who God said would never have a king again. Kind of fun. okay? And so God's grace is really revealed there, beyond even the women, as we looked at the women and showed that, 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 that even through Matthew, or Matthew, I'm sorry, Joseph, being the earthly guy who was given the privilege. People say, well, didn't he realize he was a descendant of David? He did, but he was also a descendant of Jehoiachin, who God, Yahweh, had already declared that there was a curse on Jehoiachin. He wouldn't have, the, 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 David wouldn't come from them. But God knew David would come from, or the son of David, Messiah, would actually be whose son? God's himself. How cold is that? Okay. Anyways, so then we went on and we saw the prophecies about it. It came from Isaiah that he would be given birth from a, from a virgin, right? His name would be 
Emmanuel, God with us, but he would be Jesus, okay, Yeshua, okay, and we remember I told you that that's really in the in the that Jesus goes back and it's Yeshua, but the full name, so I'm Bob, right? But my real full name is what? Robert, okay? So Joshua, Yeshua are one and the same. The full name is Yahashua. Yaha is Yahweh. Shua is saves, delivers. And so his name literally means Yahweh saves. So he would be called Emmanuel, God with us, because Zechariah chapter 2, and we'll talk about that a little bit today. Zechariah chapter 2, Zechariah chapter 12, I might get that one wrong, might be 14. Anyways, and Isaiah chapter 48 are very clear that Yahweh would come and be in the midst of us. The Trinity, the triunity of God is in, is in the prophets. Okay? And it's, it's amazing. It's, it's all there. And that, again, when I witness to the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses, I don't witness from the New Testament. I witness from the Old Testament. Okay? It's all there. And so the declaration was there that Yahweh himself would come and he would abide in the flesh. And that's what Jesus, or Jesus, I'm sorry. That's what Matthew is really trying to reveal about Jesus. I, I mess up. I'm so, this is exciting stuff to me, okay? I mean, this is really, I mean, we miss so much of this, but so much of who Jesus is is so there, okay? And so then we, we transitioned then into chapter 2, the, the great Christmas passage of, of the Magi, the magicians of the East, that's what they were, coming to worship the king of the Jews. And those who were supposed to be the wise men of the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew exactly where he was to be born, but when they found out that there was a potential for the prophecy to be fulfilled in their, in their lifetime, and they've been looking forward to this thing, they're, oh, he's going to be Bethlehem. And they don't go! But rather, we know, the hindsight 2020, right? They're going to, in the next 30 years, what are they going to seek to do? They're going to seek to kill him instead. They've been waiting all their life for Messiah. He finally comes and they want what? To kill God. I think of um, Yenta. Did you ever watch uh, Fiddler on the Roof? God, if you haven't watched Fiddler on the Roof, you've got to watch Fiddler on the Roof. Yenta, Yenta, Yenta. Anyways, and so she said Yenta, because you know what? Yenta is a gossip, and so they call her Yenta. Anyways, and so Yenta is saying to someone, she says, I think if God lived on the earth, they would throw stones at his windows. And so, that's exactly it. In fact, he was on the earth. And guess what they did? They threw stones at his windows. They put him on the cross. So we saw that. They came, they laid themselves out flat. Okay, I'm not going to do it today. Anyways, they bowed down. They worshipped the king. Herod believed. Yeah, Herod was a believer. But not a believer like we're a believer. Herod believed so much that he tried to kill all the kids. Because he tried to annihilate Messiah. But God came and had moved him. Today we transition now to the forerunner of Messiah. In a few moments we're going to turn off the lights on you. Because I have some pictures and I realize that they don't see very well. So I'm going to turn these the front off anyway. So you can see some of this a little better. And um, so the forerunner, John the Baptist, right? Now this is kind of fun. Because notice John's hair and stuff, okay? So when we go to Jesus, you're going to see Jesus. They're going to give him a little bit longer of a hair, but not as long as some of these pictures, okay? I didn't share um, in the last two weeks as well, okay? Last week we talked about, or two weeks ago when we talked from um, Nazareth, nothing good comes out of Nazareth, that, again, many Gentiles, okay, don't understand, okay, they saw Nazareth, that he's going to be a Nazarene, and they have taken this to be that he's going to be a what? 
Nazarite. The Nazarite, the Nazaritic vow from the Old Testament, part of the Nazaritic vow, was that they were supposed to have long hair. They weren't allowed to drink wine. They weren't supposed to touch dead bodies. Jesus is guilty on all accounts, right? Okay. He didn't have long hair. Okay. It was a shame for a man to have long hair. That's why a Nazarite, when he had the vow, would have the long hair. That's why Paul, if you go to the Acts, and I don't have time to go through all this, why Paul, when he, before he comes to Sancria, he gets his hair cut. He cuts his hair. And he's going to take it back to the temple. He had taken a Nazaritic vow for a period of time, and he let his hair grow. And then he shaved it off, just like a Nazarite would do at the end of their vow. Okay? So Samuel, not Samuel, Samson was born with a what? A Nazaritic vow. He wasn't allowed to touch a dead body, but then he did with the, uh, the, the, the lion, member. He broke it. Okay? He wasn't allowed to touch wine, but he did that as well. Okay? And the final thing he broke was when he told Delilah about his strength being in his hair and had his hair cut. That ended his what? Vow. And he lost his strength. Make sense? Okay? So, just a little side point here. Okay? John the Baptist, I think he was Nazaritic. He had the Nazaritic vow. Okay? I believe he was. He was like Elijah. Okay? So he had that long hair, and we're, we're told the description of him, and we'll, which we'll read in a moment, that he had the camel hair on, just like a prophet. Okay? But he was not uh, from Nazarene, uh, Nazareth. Jesus was from Nazareth, but he wasn't a Nazarite. You get it? Okay. So let's go to Matthew 3. We didn't do the Bible reading because of the, um, the communion today. Okay? So let's read, um, do our Bible reading now, if you don't mind. And so if you would, stand with me. We're going to read verses 1 to 17, Matthew chapter 7, or Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then all Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming his baptiz- to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do, not, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown down into fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him, that is Jesus. 
When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God ascending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen. You may be seated. So, John the Baptist, the ministry of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Messiah. There is so much here, we're not going to get to the end of that passage today. Um, we'll pick, do that as far as the, um, the beginning of, of, last, of next week as well. But we're going to look at the first 12 verses today. And what we see is this message of the kingdom that John is going to begin to declare. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is where, all of a sudden, we're going to start breaking this thing out. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this. You can see on your sermon note sheet, there's a whole lot of section for number one, okay? And that's because there's so much in this little statement that just gets beyond, okay? Now, for the first part, we have this word, repent, metanoia. And we talk about this all the time. It's at the end of every one of our messages, because it is, it is the message that John declares, Jesus declares, Peter declares, Paul declares, the twelve declare, it's the same message that the prophets declared. They called all the people to repent, 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 repent. This isn't just for unbelievers. This message is even for believers. It literally, metanoia, comes from two Greek words, meta and noia. Metos, meta means to change. Noia is your thought process. The way you think. Change the way you think. Change your thinking process. You've been in this box all your life. You have a certain, today's cliche, worldview. You've been being taught by CNN. You've been being taught by Augusta Chronicle. You've been being taught by CBS. You've been being taught by multiples of different things. You may be being taught by, by Facebook, FB. You may be being taught by other things, right? Okay. All these things are in this box, and they're, they're teaching you the way to think. And without thinking about it, most of the people in the world, and sadly, even a lot of the people in churches, Think like the world. They've been told to think this way. John, the forerunner of Yahweh, the forerunner of Yahweh, which is kind of fun here, right? Comes, and his job is to begin to prepare the way. To prepare the way of Yahweh. Yahweh's getting ready to come. Who came? Jesus We'll talk about that as we go, right? So prepare the way of Yahweh, right? And how is that way going to be prepared? How are people going to be ready to receive the one who's going to come? They have to change the way they think. You've got to change the way you think. If, if you think sin is just a bad thing, change the way you think. Sin is an abomination. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. If you were God, it would make you vomit. I know we shouldn't use those time terms. That's what sin is. It's an abhorrence to him. Who is God? Oh, he's the big guy upstairs. Really? He's the guy to breathe the breath of life into you. You can snuff it out anytime he chooses. Jamie, I appreciated your testimony. God chose not that moment to what? That it was your day, right? But any, none of us have a... I don't know I'm going to make it home today, and I live right on the other side of Old Evans Road. I've heard of pastors dying even while they're preaching. I don't know if I'm going to finish my message today. Who's going to finish it? Anyways, just keep moving. Just keep, it's a better place I go. Just set them, push me to the side. It's just a tent. 
It's just like wrap it up, wrap the tent up, throw it to the side. Yeah, that's right. Somebody else is going to stand up and keep preaching. Though. Oh, Liam's going to do it. Liam's just going to push me aside. You're the man, Liam. All right. I knew I had one buddy here. Anyways, Liam said, all right, Pastor Bob, I'm done with you. You're out of here. That means if you do that, though, Liam, you've touched me. And it's like Elijah with Elisha. It means you've got to stand up and proclaim. Anyways, just order. Um, anyways, <laughs> he won't push me now. Uh, anyways. But that's how it is, right? Prepare. So you've got to change the way you what? Think. Think about what? Well, the next thing he's going to talk about is change the way you think about do you note the difference of what I just have here? I just changed it. It used to say what? The kingdom of heaven. Now it says the kingdom of the heavens. That's what it literally says. Gentiles, that makes no sense. The kingdom of what? The heavens. The kingdom of the heavens. In Jewish mind, there are multiple heavens. Now, in the day of Jesus, okay, they had become started to become confused because after the exile into Babylon, into Mesopotamia, they began to, um, like the church, they began to absorb the culture in which they were. And in the Mesopotamian religions, they actually had seven heavens. I'm not going to go there and explain all that to you. You can look it up if it really interests you, but don't worry about it. But so in the in the um, um, oh, I hate when my brain walks around the Talmud, the rabbis um, would write about the seven heavens. And if you go to um, anything on the web to look at uh, the heaven in Judaism, then you're going to read about the seven heavens. Okay, and they relate to the six days of creation, and the the, the highest heaven then relates to the Shabbat in in the temple. Okay, it's not biblical. It's not biblical at all, okay? But what it comes from is it comes from, again, the, the Mesopotamian. Now, I want to do a little aside and give you a little comprehension of that when you're thinking, how does that happen? So Daniel, in the book of Daniel, um, Nebuchadnezzar has the vision, right? You have the, the gold head, goes to the silver arms and chest, to the bronze thighs, to the iron legs, to the mix of iron and clay feet. Okay? They were four kingdoms, actually five, but four that would then flow into the, that final one, right? The gold was Babylon. Silver was Medo-Persia, the Medes and the Persians. The bronze, running fast, was Alexander. Okay? That was Greece. The iron was Rome. Okay? The iron and clay mixture today. Okay? So, we'll see how that plays out. I'm not going to go there. That's a whole other realm. You can listen to 2009. You can go back to 2009 and messages on the web, and you can check it all out. So, but for now, we're not going to talk about it. Okay? So, but coming, passing through, passing through all this, okay, is, is political, cultural, religious, passing on down. You say, really? Yes. Go back to Babylon. All the way back to the Tower of Babel. Go back to Babylon. Okay? And you go back and you have Ishtar giving birth to Tammuz. Ishtar was the queen of heaven, and she gives birth to the sun god, Tammuz. Okay? This is false. This is false. This is Babylonian mythology. Okay? False theology. 
okay, false mythology, okay, but it's out there, okay, this is what they believed, right, okay, this is what they taught, that passed down then through the Medes and the Persians, passed down through all, the, and it came all the way through Rome, and it comes into Christian mythology, where Mary, the Queen of Heaven, gives birth to Jesus, the Son God. You say, no, no, we don't believe that. No, you may not. But do you ever buy Christmas cards? And around Mary and around Jesus are not halos. Halos go this way. Their sun glows. It's not around Joseph. It's only around Mary and Jesus. Because Mary is in Catholic mythology. You go to large catechism. Let me check this out. She is called the Queen of Heaven. And Jesus is the sun god. Constantine, the Roman emperor, became the first pope. He married together the Roman Empire and the church. He had two factions in the Roman Empire. He had those who worshipped the S-U-N and those who worshipped the S-O-N. And so he began the process of syncretism that Christianity has struggled with throughout the millennia. Of, of taking the culture and blending it into the church. And so he took them together and he made a celebration. And he brought the celebration together at the celebration of Saturnalia. Saturnalia was the celebration of the birth of the S-U-N God. We call it Christ Mass. Okay? Now, I don't have a problem with it, because biblically I can go back and I can show you that I think Jesus was born in December. Okay? So I don't have a problem with it. I think Satan tried to de- destroy all that. But I want you to understand that. So we look at the Jews and we go, how did I get do something like that? Christians have done exactly the same. We've got to be careful. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, and do not be conformed to... The world, but rather be ye what? Transform in the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think that you might be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you don't change the way you think, you'll never understand. You've got to think like God thinks. And the only way to think biblically is to do what? Spend time in the Bible. If you don't read the Bible, if you don't spend time in God's Word, you'll never think biblically. I got a lot of you know people who Christians who think they think biblically. They don't think biblically because they don't read the Bible. They just think they know. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. It's just reality. Spend time in God's Word and let's talk. Make sense? I'd love to find out where I'm wrong in my theologies, 100%, really. But I don't want someone coming to me saying I think. I don't care what you think. What I care is what God declares. Does it make sense? So, the kingdom of the heavens. So, what is the kingdom? Well, the, the, the Jews then, okay, they, they see three separate, and we're going to see this. In fact, let me go to Amos 9 here, because we're going to talk about the heavens. Amos 9. Jewish thought process is that there are three primary realms. There is the heavens, there is the earth, and there is the underworld. That's called Sheol, Hades in, in the Greek. 
Okay, Sheol in the Hebrew, Hades in, in the Greek. Okay, so you have the heavens, you have the earth, and you have the underworld. Okay, in Amos 9, we read, He who flees from them, this is jumping right into it, the first, second half of verse 1, He who flees from them shall not get away, and he who escapes from them shall not be delivered, though they dig into Sheol, the underworld. Okay, from there, God's hand, my hand, shall take them, though they climb into the heavens. Okay, we read in the English heaven, but in the Hebrew it's Shamaim, it's the heavens. Okay, from there I will bring them down, and though they hide themselves on top of Carmel, from there I will search and take them, though they hide from my side at the bottom of the sea. So the earth goes from the heights of the mountains to the depths of the sea, I think Psalm 139, though I run to here, though I flee to here, still God, what, sees me, okay? So the three realms is what Amos is, is communicating to the Jews, that God is everywhere. God is in the heavens, because a lot of times we like to what? We like to compartmentalize God, don't we? God's where? He's in heaven. But if we're told what? It doesn't matter where you flee. You can flee even into the underworld. And guess what? God is there. You can flee anywhere on the earth, to the depths of the sea, to the heights of the mountains. And what? God is there. Okay? But for us right now, important thing for us to comprehend, Jewish mindset, there is the heavens, the earth, the underworld. They have three comprehensions. Okay? Now, keep going on in this passage. Okay? The Lord God of hosts... He who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell there mourn, all of it shall swell like the river and subside like the river of Egypt. He who, this is God again, he who builds his layers in the sky and has founded his strata in the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea, and so on and so forth. What Amos is declaring as well is the Jewish thought process that even in the heavens there were what? Layers. Okay? Um, this word layers is the Hebrew word that is used for steps, stairs. They were levels, elevations, levels of elevation. So as you go up steps, you're really going up levels of elevation. Make sense? So in the Hebrew mind, there were levels, layers of elevations of heavens. There was multiple heavens. Okay, as a, Just as there were strata... The bundling of the foundations is literally how it's stated. The bundling of the foundations of the earth. So, after the flood, right, the mountains break forth and you drive through Virginia and West Virginia and you look at the side and and what are the strata, if you would, of the earth doing? They're going like this. Because why? They used to be like this, but then the flood came and what happened? They got pushed up. And so the layers of the earth got pushed up. But any geologist who's, who's studying the earth knows what? There are multiple strata of the earth. So, illustration, just as there's strata of the earth, there are strata of heaven. Now, that's mind-boggling. You say, whoa, really? Comprehend that one. Well, what about Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the what? Third heaven. The what? The third heaven. We'll talk about that. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise. So apparently the third heaven is what? Heaven. 
paradise. Isn't it nice how the Bible defines itself for us? We don't have to think. God says what he means, and he means what he says, right? Okay, he's in the paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So, three layers of heaven. You got the what? The clouds. You got the starry expanse. And then you have what? We're actually, we're, well, yeah, heaven. <laughs> what we understand as what? Heaven. But there are the heavens, okay? It, kind of, it makes sense, doesn't it? Okay? Why we're afraid of the kingdom of heaven? No, for God, it's the kingdom of what? The heavens. He doesn't just reign. Think about this. He doesn't just reign up there someplace. Where does God reign? Everywhere. So, with this kingdom thing, okay, so many theologies have been built on this. This is why I'm taking time to go through this. There are so many theologies that are built upon the kingdom of heaven and elsewhere. In Mark and in Luke, it's called the kingdom of God. And you'll be surprised. There are good names. I'm not going to throw those out today. Okay? That divide between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They're two different kingdoms. Ah! It makes my brain hurt sometimes when I, when I see the gymnastics that people go through. When God's word is so clear. I'm not going to go through every one of these passages. They're on your sermon note sheets if you got it, okay? But in Matthew chapter 4, it equates to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. This is after John. Jesus begins to proclaim the kingdom of heavens, the heavens. Well, over there in Mark, it's the kingdom of God. Did Jesus proclaim two different things? Okay? Matthew 18, and then Matthew 19, Mark 10. Such is the kingdom. That's talking about kids. Talking about the children. Let the children come unto me, for such is the kingdom of the heavens. God. Which one? I don't know. It's one and the same. Mark 19, Mark 10. The rich... In the kingdom of God, it's possible, it's hard for the rich to what? Enter into the kingdom of the heavens, well, the kingdom of God. I think they're schizophrenic. Anyways, they don't know which one it is, okay? Jesus knew which one it was. He wasn't telling people one thing and then another thing. This is Jesus speaking. And just, so Luke is talking to who? When Luke writes his gospel, who is Luke writing his gospel to? The Gentiles. Who is Matthew writing to? The Jews. Get it? Matthew's writing the Jews. What do the Jews understand? It's the kingdom of the heavens. What are the, what are the Gentiles? They don't know. the kingdom of the heavens stuff. It's the kingdom of... It's God. Because God what? Reigns everywhere. Does that make sense? Okay. So Matthew 13, we get into the parables of the kingdom. We'll talk about that as we get into Matthew, all the parable of the kingdoms. But it's the kingdom of God. Okay? So fly on. The extent of God's kingdom then. Okay? Well, where is it? Well, again, Jewish thought... I will make you swear by Yahweh, the God of the heaven and God of the earth. Okay? He is the God of what? The heavens and the earth. And as we saw from Amos, he's even the God of the underworld. People may not want to believe that, but there is a what? There is an underworld. There is a hell. Okay? That's what I shared to that one man. And when I went knocking on the doors and I got to meet him and I just said to him, I said, look, I'm not here to, to cost you today. <laughs> I was with Steve, chuckled the one house I said that at, and he said, we're going to come back and accost him later. And I said, well, maybe so. Um, but today it's not, I'm not here to accost you. So, but anyways, I just want to leave you with this one thought. Everybody's going to live forever. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The Bible is very clear. Everybody's going to live forever. The question is, where are you going to spend it? I said, so come have a hamburger hot dog with us at the picnic. <laughs> then I left. He came. He came. And so... Yeah, say what he wants, but he doesn't believe. I know he believes. So anyways, 
Okay? So the extent of God's reign, it's everywhere, and it's forever. Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. He's never going to cease to reign. Time magazine back in the 60s said that God was dead. That he was like the clockmaker. He started it all. Even if you want to... That was a pretty magnificent statement by itself, right? That gave some credence to God, right? That even if he started it all, he's dead now. Why? Because he's not doing what you want him to do? We, Michael Card made a, it was a uh, Know You in the Now song years ago. One lyric, just line, it's just been powerful. It's just, we make you in our image, so our faith is idolatry. I want you to think about that. If you have not spent time studying God's word about who God is, then your impression of God either comes from someone who's told you about him or what you think he is. Take time to study God's word. You ought to be a Berean. You ought to check me out to find out the things that I'm teaching you today are true. If they're not true, you need to make it known. I'm a liar. I'm of the devil. I don't believe I am. I believe I'm teaching you truth. And so, therefore, you should be able to go to God's word. You should be able to check me out. All this stuff I'm even teaching you about the heavens and everything else. I'm standing here. And James 3.1 says, Be not many masters, teachers, for such have the greater condemnation. I know I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give an account for everything I teach you. So check me out. I mean that honestly. And I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean it honestly. Because if I'm teaching falsehood, I certainly want to know. Okay? But God's going to reign forever and ever, everywhere. So then we have these kingdoms, okay? Again, this is just all foundational stuff that's so important. You didn't think there was so much in that verse, did you? Anyways, that God has then these three kingdoms. You have the eternal kingdom, where God reigns what? Over everything forever. What was before Genesis 1-1? God. That's exactly right. God was still reigning from eternity, wasn't he? We say from eternity, but that's because we're so man, man-centric. We're so time-oriented, but... Time didn't exist back then, did it? So what, exi- what, what came about in Genesis 1-1? Time, space, and matter. Everything we comprehend, we live in. Time wasn't before Genesis 1-1. Time is the, the, the matter pro- going through space. So the minute he made matter in space, he made what? Time. God's outside of time. God is eternity. He is eternality. God is. That's why his name is Yahweh. I am that... I am. Nobody created him. He is. It's mind-boggling. I can't come. So out there. But that's his kingdom. That's the in the heavens stuff. The spiritual kingdom. We'll get there later. But Jesus says, clearly in the book of Luke, he says the kingdom is, resides in our what? In our hearts. Okay? When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, Christ comes on the throne of your heart. He reigns within you. There's the spiritual kingdom. There then is the physical kingdom. We spent a lot of time when we went through the... Um, the thing on dispensationalism, talking about the physical kingdom of God on the earth. Okay? He, he had a theocracy through Israel. It once again will reign. Jesus will come. Yahweh in the flesh will come and he will reign on the throne of David for a 1,000 year reign in Jerusalem. Okay? That's coming okay? in the days ahead. Okay? When? I don't know. But it's, we know it's going to happen. Then... The final statement that he makes here is change the way you change your thinking process. Repent, right? The kingdom of heaven is what? Is near. No. Literally again, it says, has, not is near, has drawn near. It's the perfect. This word here is in a perfect sense. 
A perfect verb, okay, is a past action that has a continuing result. It happened back there, but it's affecting everything on. It doesn't change. It wasn't just a point in time back here. Boop, it happened. And now it's gone. That's an aorist sense. It wasn't just something that happened back here and it ended. That's an imperfect sense. God chooses the language that he wants to write in for a reason. Okay? And the Greek language is so clear on this. Bam! Jesus came to the earth. Guess what? The kingdom of heavens. Boom! It came. And it was there. Any place the king is, his kingdom is. The kingdom of heavens, John said, has drawn near. It has drawn near. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God reigns on this earth even right now? Or do you think that he's just kind of left it all and he can't do a thing right now? He needs us to pray. Now look, I think we're out to pray and we, God uses our prayers, okay? But does God need me? Does he need you? Does he need us to pray? No, he wants us. That's a part of his plan, part of his process. But does he need me? Is God limited? And that, wow, you know, if the church doesn't pray, I guess God just doesn't have any power. How silly. But so many times we what? We think that way. It's a privilege. God wants me to pray. He wants a relationship with me. He's my Abba. He's my daddy. He wants me to have this fellowship with him. It's not something I'm obligated to do. It's something I want to do. How sad it is when children don't want to talk to their parents. You broke my heart today. I appreciate your desire to want to have that fellowship with your daddy again. That's too cool. Would be that we would have that heart, that breaking heart, to want to talk to our daddy, our eternal Abba. God, I want time with you. But we don't make it. We might say that, but we won't make the time to do it. God's saying, I'm here. I'm sitting, I'm sitting on the chair by the fireplace. I'm just waiting. Just come sit down with me. Let's take some time together. Proximity of the kingdom, it's here. It had come. Yahweh was in their midst. I don't have time to go into this, but just think of the impact of this. It's Yahweh's kingdom. And John's saying what? He has come. He's getting ready to baptize him. How cool is that? Could you imagine being John, baptizing God? I think of Mary giving birth to God. I mean, how do you do? I mean, How does that happen? Proclamation, again, by John, Jesus, the 12, Peter, Paul, Philip, us. We're supposed to be proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God, of the kingdoms. So, if you would, thanks, Mark. That way you can see it. So, real quickly, the baptism of repentance, okay? John came preaching the baptism, okay? And, he, and he, this baptism that we have is very important, okay? Note this picture, okay? It's amazing to me how many, th- throughout the rest of it, we're going to just leave it off, okay? Um, it's amazing to me how many movies get this. But then the people who have the movies, they don't follow it. I don't get it. Because in the, in the church, there are four different modes for, quote-unquote, baptism. We'll start there. Okay? There's immersion, there's sprinkling, there's anointing, and there's pouring. Would you say I'm right? Think through all those denominations, how they all do this and stuff. Okay? 
I don't have time to go to the book of Leviticus, but if you go to the book of Leviticus, I think it's on your sermon note sheet, okay? And it talks about what the priest does with the blood. He, he dips his finger in the blood. He sprinkles it seven times on the altar. He then takes some and he anoints the horns of the altar. And then he pours the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Those same four verbs are there. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of, of the Old Testament, in those four verbs, one of those verbs is the verb, listen to what the, the Greek word is, baptizo. Do you hear anything in that word, baptizo? It's our English word, what? Baptism. Baptism was never a word until it forced the hand of theologians to translate the Bible. The Greek word baptizo literally means to dip, dunk, or immerse. Dunkin' Donuts is baptistic donuts. <laughs> no other denomination should be eating there because they don't believe in it. Anyways, <laughs> they need to go. They, that's why maybe they eat all the sprinkled ones. Anyways, so um, they're only sprinkled. Anyways, yeah, for real. So, but that's what it means. It means to dip, dunk, or immerse. And so, see the little head popping out here? That's because there's a guy, what? Being immersed in the Jordan River. Okay? And so that's the picture. I don't have to take you down backwards. We take it down backwards and we bring you back up because it's a picture of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That you, You're laid down into the tomb. You, you're buried with Christ, Romans chapter 6. And then when you come up, it's to, unto the resurrection. Okay? Same picture, though. He's down into the grave. And then he's going to what? Pop back up the resurrection where we raise with Christ unto new life. That's the picture. Now, it wasn't the picture when John was doing it, right? The whole picture back here with John was a picture of cleansing. Cleansing. He was going in, okay? People were confessing their sins. We'll come to that part in a second, okay? So that part, first of all, we talk about the mode, okay? The mode is immersion, okay? That's what they did. I don't have a lot of time on this, okay? But... It's what it is. It's not sprinkling. It's not dunking. It's not anointing. So babies, you know, first of all, it comes after you accept Christ as your Savior. And so, but even if you want to do a, say, a baby, who's going to dunk? You know, anyways, it doesn't happen. Okay. Anyways, it's immersion. Now the motivation, the motivation was the confession of what? Their sins. First John 1, 9. It sits, it's, it is the, the middle of the Oreo. You know, people like Oreo cookies, and many people, now I've met people who like the chocolate cake more than they like the cream in the middle, okay? But most people, when they get an Oreo, they get that Oreo, they open it up, and they do what? And they get all the sugar, because that's a good part, you know? So, 1 John 1, 8 to 10. We know 1 John 1, 9, because that's the cream in the middle. But remember the whole spiritual Oreo. Start at verse 8. If you say you have no sin... You deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The other part of the Oreo. If you say you have not sinned, you make God a liar, and his word is not in you. Both sides of the Oreo says what? You're a sinner. <laughs> You're a sinner. Two parts, baby. You are a sinner. But the precious cream center says what? God is faithful and God is just. 
and that if you would just homologate, oh my, I know. You were wondering about that word, weren't you? If you would just say in oneness with God, that's what it means, to say the same thing as, remember what I said about God, what God thinks about sin? That's what God thinks about sin. So when you confess sin, is it, God, I blew it. Thanks, big guy. Appreciate you forgiving me. Let's get on now. Bless me, buddy. Bless me, God. Bless me. I mean, I'm being sacrilegious and I'm joking. And we wouldn't necessarily say that way, but do we not think that way sometimes? It's just a little sin. I mean, when in the whole realm of sin, God, look, I didn't kill my kid and, and offer it as a burnt offering. I mean, I just got angry for a moment. I just looked lewdly at that girl for a moment. I just, I just, I just. Jesus died because of that one little look. Jesus died because of that one little bit of anger. It wasn't Jesus didn't die because somebody offered their kid as a living sacrifice. In fact, God offered his kid as a living sacrifice. For me. How cool is that? But that's what he thinks about sin. These people were supposed to be coming in the confession of sin, being baptized. And then he stated about Jesus that Jesus, one, was going to come after him, whose sandals he wasn't even worthy to tie or untie. And he was going to baptize in the Spirit and with fire. I don't have a lot of time. You can read all the verses there. But this is the passage that we're starting to memorize, right? He says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jesus came, and he was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And you remember in the, that, in, the, in the upper room that night, when he came to his disciples, remember I pointed this out in John chapter 20, he breathed on them. And he said to them, what? Receive the Spirit. And they received the Spirit, and they were told to wait until they were then immersed with the Spirit. And then the Spirit came upon them in a mighty way in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And they began to proclaim in other languages. Jesus comes with the Spirit, but he also comes with fire. Again, you have multiple verses on this. You can check this out, okay? But we read, then in Malachi, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, the priests, and purge them with gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering and righteousness. And when Jesus came, he was going to speak with authority the words of God, and he was going to purify us. John therefore concludes with the Pharisees. He says, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Because even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree will bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is what? Cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. People want to say, yeah, but I still... Whatever. I'm, I'm a fruit inspector. That's all I am. I'm not the judge. Does it make sense? God knows what's inside that fruit. My job is just to what? 
It looks like a peach tree. It has peaches on it. It must be a what? A peach tree. It's got grapes on a vine. It must be what? It must be a grapevine. Make sense? If it doesn't have either one of those, it's a fruitless tree. God can figure it out. John 15, we don't have time for this, but you can read all through this passage, John, where Jesus said he's the vine, we're the branches, right? And he states there in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Key verse, many people go to John 15, and they worry about losing their salvation. This is not about losing your salvation. This is about somebody who isn't ever saved. They look like a vine, they look, I mean a branch, but they're not a branch. They're not connected to the vine. They may look like a branch, but how do I know they're not connected to the vine? They're fruitless. Therefore, they're not a believer. They could be righteous, but they don't have the fruit of the Spirit. They're not a part of Him. That's what the fruit of the Spirit's all about. Move on. So in the end, Mark, you can turn this back on. Does your life give evidence that there was a transformation in the way you think? Does your life bear witness that you have ever repented because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, was at hand? Do you believe that the kingdom of heaven is truly at hand, that it is here right now? Have you, been, submitted, your, have you submitted to Christ by being immersed in his name? Notice I didn't say by being baptized in his name. Okay, It's that big of a deal. Listen, I didn't grow up Baptist. I'm not a Baptist now. When I got saved, people said, well, are you going to be a Baptist? I'm not going to be a Baptist. I want to be a follower of Yeshua. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I've been in church all my life. I've been deceived all my life. I don't mean that they purposely deceived me. It's just I didn't hear it. I didn't know it. Whatever. And I can tell you now that the church I grew up in didn't teach this. That's why we're a Bible church, not a Baptist church. I don't want to be Baptist. I don't want to be a Lutheran. I don't want to be a Catholic. I, don't want, I just want to be a follower of Jesus. And I don't want to be arrogant in that either, though. I don't want to be 1 Corinthians. Some say they're of Christ. That's not where I want to be either. I just want to be a follower of Jesus. And that's what Jesus said to do. Is there then a need to change the way you think? Repent and change the way you act. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, you alone are the Most High God. There is none other. There has never been a God before you, neither shall there ever be any after you. You alone are the Savior, the Redeemer, the Deliverer. And we give you the glory and the praise. Lord, it's hard for us to comprehend how you could have done all this. I don't, I don't get it, but I'm not God, and that's okay. So I just believed what you said. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be the lights in this world. Lord, help us to, to reflect you to others, that they may want to know you more. For your glory in Christ's name, amen.